Good morning. If you have a Bible handy, would you be turning or opening up to Matthew chapter 12? Matthew chapter 12. We'll begin there in just a moment. I did have one other prayer request that I, we wanted to mention. We extend our sympathy to Courtney Wilson and the passing of her grandmother last week. Uh, I realized that her na- uh, name was mentioned in the bulletin. I know Courtney mentioned that a few times maybe in the ladies' class, and uh, we found out about that last week and wanted to pass that along to you so you could be encouraging that family as well. We'll begin in Matthew chapter 12 in just a moment, but I do want to also begin by saying uh, thank you for all your prayers as we were traveling out and about. We did enjoy uh, some time away and being with our family. I want to echo the sentiments that Denny had last Sunday morning that I'm thankful that you allowed Hannah to have a vacation. Uh, we listened in later and heard that he, he said that. I know this Charles mentioned I don't ever get any respect around here, so that's okay from the guest speaker or from anybody, but that's all right. Uh, we appreciate the, the chance to go and the chance to... Uh, to be able to return again, we had a great Sunday last Sunday uh, with the Concord Street Church of Christ in Orlando. Visited the Farr family and got to sit at David's feet last week and hear him preach and also uh, had a great day with them. They had their friends and family day uh, on that day, so we enjoyed being there and being a part of that. And also visiting with the St. Augustine uh, Church of Christ on Wednesday night and running into several Fried Hardeman friends. And so it's uh, sad to be away, but enjoyed uh, getting to visit with other Christians uh, and also miss being here and glad to be back. As Brian mentioned, oh, I did not leave Hannah at the beach. That's not why she's not here uh, this morning. So she may be threatening me sometimes to leave me, and if she leaves me, she'll leave me for the beach is where she'd leave me for. But, uh, uh, but we came home a little bit under the weather, and uh, so she kept Campbell and Caroline home this morning. And I do want to say one other thing. I, I've heard jokes before, you all probably have as well, of the, the husband going away from home and, and coming home to the locks being changed or the preacher leaving and coming back and the locks being changed at the building. I've never come home and the building has actually been moved outside. So we pulled in and we actually we passed by on the highway, you know, before we got off on the exit. And the boys looked over and said, is something going on that we need to know about? And I said, well, I hope we can get in when we get there. But uh, uh, sometimes things change while you're gone, but it's always good to be home again. We're going to talk about Matthew tonight, uh, in our this afternoon, I guess, in our Book of the Month Club as we move over to the New Testament. Uh, so I thought that it'd be good this morning if we looked at a particular text from Matthew's account. And some of what we're going to look at this morning comes from a great lesson by our brother Brent Kircheville down in the West Palm Beach congregation. And as I was thinking about some different things in Matthew, some things that could encourage us, and I was thinking in, in particular about the first 14 verses of Matthew chapter 12. I came across this outline. I'd like to share some of it with you. I don't know if you can make it out on the screen. Uh, That's a bit of a winter scene. I didn't know that until I'd already started using it. I think it fits, though, because my computer here told me that there may be a record low tomorrow in October for our area. So uh, I'm not trying to bring on winter, but as I downloaded this PowerPoint to use, I noticed that it's actually a winter background, but it kind of fits the cold weather that we're having over the next couple of days. But when we think about Matthew chapter 12 and we try to lay the foundation for what's taking place here, I want to know if there's anyone in the audience, and you don't have to raise your hand as we sometimes ask you to do, you don't have to, uh, but are there any rule followers you know, in the audience this morning? Are there anyone that kind of feels like me, I can be that way sometimes, where there's a set of rules and so I'm going to follow those. Maybe you're a rule breaker. You know, well, I know those rules are there, but I just, you know, I'm going to do my own thing. And yet other people say, I need a set of rules. And if you will just give me a set of rules, then I can follow those. Yet some people ask sometimes, do I have to, right? With a set of rules comes the idea that maybe do I actually have to do that? 
But is it possible that we sometimes try to boil down the teaching of God's, the teaching of God's word into a have to? Do I have to do this or do I, do I have to do that? Into a set of rules. Sometimes we bring it down to such a set of rules that we begin to miss the point. We don't mean to do that sometimes. Think about what we'll put on the screen here in just a few moments at the end of the lesson. We'll say there are five steps of salvation. And somebody says, well, that's fine. You boil it down and there are five rules. Check. I've done that. Sometimes we say there are five acts of worship. So someone says, done. I showed up today. I've performed those five acts of worship and that's it. But we also ask sometimes, what are the reason for the rules? What is the purpose behind the rules that we have? And in Matthew chapter 12, that's what we find the Pharisees are doing. And we begin to understand this idea of simply having a set of rules and following those and then sometimes saying, well, do I have to do this or do I have to do that without, while we miss the purpose or the reason behind those. And we read that here and we're going to try to examine this passage this morning. I love sometimes to try to break down this a section of scripture to understand it better when we would often pass right over it, right? If you open up there, you look at Matthew chapter 11, really beginning in verse 25, but we usually focus on verses 28 through 30. We sometimes reference this as the Lord's invitation, right? When we extend heaven's invitation or the Lord's invitation on Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon on Wednesday night, we usually reference Matthew chapter 11. Verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, come unto me. It's a great statement. It is the invitation that we need to obey. We need to follow. Almost like as we were talking about a moment ago, both with Don singing and Keith's short lesson for us there, thinking about the Lord's Supper. He's saying, follow me. It's a great passage. But what we'll do is we'll stop there and we'll jump to something else. Right? We won't continue reading. So let's pick up in Matthew chapter 12 and try to examine some things that we can learn from the Pharisees and this particular section of Scripture. Number one this morning, let's try to understand the problem. Let's try to understand the problem. Look at verse number one. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. I don't know if your Bible has an exclamation point there. Mine does. There's emphasis, right? Almost in the sense of, of tattletelling, almost in the sense of trying to get someone in trouble. Look, 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 Jesus, look what they are doing. But they say it to him. The disciples are going through a field. They're plucking grain to eat. Can I ask you to hold your place here and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 23 very quickly? We're going to look at two Old Testament passages. Deuteronomy 23 verses 24 and 25, first of all. Deuteronomy 23, 24 and 25, which tells them that they are allowed to do this. Verse 25, when you come into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads with your hand but you shall not use a sickle on your neighbor's standing grain. They're actually allowed to do this. And so by, by law, by Deuteronomy here, they are allowed to pluck this grain. However, it is also important to notice that they are doing this on the Sabbath. 
right? Matthew says that for us. It's plain, it's simple, it's right there. They are doing this on the Sabbath day. If you're still there in the Old Testament, you are probably familiar with Exodus chapter 20, where we first read about the Ten Commandments, and in particular, Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8, where God says to the children of Israel by Moses, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. It is important to notice that what they're doing is okay by law, but it is also being done on the Sabbath day. So the Pharisees, who had come up, by the way, with a whole bunch of different set of rules, if you will, their own rules, to define what work was on the Sabbath, the Pharisees have a problem with this. But here's the thing. Even some people today practice this, correct? If you go on the internet and you look around, there are some people who will say and follow the Jewish practices of some basic activities that they refrain from on the Sabbath. Riding or erasing or tearing, business transactions, driving or riding in cars or other vehicles, shopping, using the telephone, turning on or off anything which uses electricity, including lights or radios or televisions or computers or air conditioners, alarm clocks. Cooking, baking, kindling a fire, gardening, grass mowing, doing laundry, all of these things are sometimes listed as things that should not be done on the Sabbath. One website in particular explains that you are not allowed to carry or move things. You are not allowed to move things indirectly with another object. I guess you couldn't pick up a stick and move something that you're trying to move. You can only move an object if it is needed for an activity that is permitted on the Sabbath and nothing else can perform the task or the place the object occupies is needed. It's a lot to try to take in when it comes to these rules that have been set up. I've shared with many of you before that before I started working here with the congregation full-time, I worked for a company that was owned and, and run by a family of Orthodox Jews. And, and many stories were shared with me. I didn't hear all of them, but about the, the lengths that they would go to to be sure they were not working on the Sabbath, that they could do some things maybe from time to time. But I believe then they would all wake up on, on Sunday morning and, and walk to the synagogue together, not riding in a car and, and all of these other things. We actually had lights installed in our facilities, the kind that are motion detectors, right? I mean, you see them sometimes in bathrooms at restaurants, but you walk in and the lights turn on. Well, guess what that means? You didn't actually turn the lights on, right? So you weren't working. And lots of people have this. I don't say any of this to try to make fun of anyone or to poke fun at their teaching. Simply to ask an important question. Was this the intention of the Sabbath law? Let me say it again. The question is, was this the intention of the Sabbath law? Is this what God wanted or expected from his people when he commanded the Sabbath? 
And the answer to that question, is this the point of the Sabbath law, is what Jesus is going to spend the rest of the time explaining to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 12, who were doing the tattletelling and saying, but Jesus, Jesus, look what they're doing. They're working on the Sabbath. So let's go a little further in the text. The second thing we would notice here are two examples that Jesus gives. All right, they've done the accusing. Let's pick up in verse number three. Excuse me, verse number three. <clears throat> but he said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry, he and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. Or, question two, example two, have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless. Here's where I would suggest again that it's very easy for us sometimes, if we're reading chapter 11, to pick up with chapter 12 and get to this section about something David had done back in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and other things that are taking place and go, I don't understand what he's talking about. I'm just going to skip ahead. I'm just going to go forward to something else. So what is Jesus teaching by these two examples? Well, what he's doing is he is proclaiming the title of our lesson. If you have a bulletin in front of you and you've noticed the title, he is proclaiming our title that something greater than the temple is here. When we think about, in particular, the priest, the temple was a very important place in their lives, was it not? It was where God's presence physically was. And Jesus is speaking of himself here, even going down to think about how he is greater than the temple. In these two examples, he's going to point out the error in their thinking. Number one, he mentions, first of all, David and his men. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David and his men are running from Saul. We won't go back for the sake of time and examine the whole text there. But David and his men are running from Saul. They're hungry, and they enter the house of God, and they ate the showbread that they knew they were not to eat. That bread was only to be eaten by the priest. So what Jesus is showing here from David and his men is that there is an example of extreme need. They are running from Saul, and they are hungry, and here is an example of need. Number two, the second example is the priest. These priests who are working in the temple on the Sabbath. And the point that Jesus is making is there is work, work that is performed on the Sabbath that is accepted. He says, wait a minute, you're not fussing with these priests for the work that they are doing, but you're fussing about the disciples who are walking through the grain field and eating. They held up David as a hero. They weren't fussing about what David had done. They recognized that the priest had duties to perform. They weren't arguing about that. So why were they so upset about what the disciples did, which did not, as we looked at, did not violate any of God's laws, but simply violated their traditions, what they said men were supposed to be doing and not doing. So Jesus lays out the problem for us, and he gives us two examples. Let's think then, thirdly, about the teaching. The teaching. As we started saying just a moment ago, what is he trying to teach? 
And he's proclaiming again, as we said, that something greater than the temple is here. The temple was an important place, and he's speaking of himself as being greater. Notice beginning in verse number 6. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. But if you had known what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. He calls the disciples guiltless. He says they didn't do anything wrong. They're guiltless. Verse 8, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus is speaking of himself as something greater than the temple. The priests did their work in violation of the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. They're violating it because the temple is more important than the Sabbath. And now he is here. Jesus is here who is greater than the temple. Jesus' situation is greater than David's and the priest. But he's not done. Jesus is not done by simply saying that in verse number 6. Because in verse number 7, he tells them that they do not know what Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6 teaches. You may have that particular text italicized in your Bible in the middle of verse number 7. You may have a reference that tells you that the phrase, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, is a reference from Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6. But he's telling them, you don't get it. You don't know what it means. He wants people, Jesus wants people to have a relationship with him, to be devoted and to show mercy and care for people like God does. And in this situation... The Pharisees are not caring for the disciples' needs at this time. They're hungry. They're needing to be fed. And so Jesus says finally in verse number 8 that he is Lord of the Sabbath. No human can claim to be above the law. But Jesus says, I am Lord of the Sabbath. So here are three things very quickly that are shown. Number one, the disciples are okay to do what they're doing, to pluck the grain, because the situation dictates it. They were hungry, and the purpose of the Sabbath was not to starve people, right? When we start going back to the rules and forgetting the purpose of the rules, the purpose of the Sabbath was not to starve people and to say, well, you know what, sorry, you can't pluck any grain because it's the Sabbath and you can't work. That wasn't the purpose. Number two, if these leaders, these Pharisees, understood the Scripture in places like Hosea chapter 6, they would have helped the disciples in this moment and not condemned them. If they understood that, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. They would have helped. And number three, Jesus can explain this because he is Lord of the Sabbath. He is the one who has the authority and the power to explain that this is the case. Another way of sort of summing this up, if you will, the teaching that Jesus is trying to give here was given by Wayne Jackson in his New Testament commentary. He says it this way, legalism without compassion is wrong. We're accused a lot of times of being legalists because we try to hold to God's law. We should hold to God's law but do so also understanding and using compassion. The idea is that they were emphasizing the law to the exclusion of attitude. Here's the rules, and you better follow the rules, or you're condemned, plain and simple. 
And Jesus is saying that, yes, you need to obey the rules in one sense, but you also have to have compassion. And we have to strive to find the balance in that. Legalism without compassion is wrong. So he gives this teaching, right? He gives the examples, then he gives this teaching, but then he goes even further. And let's notice next the teaching shown or the teaching exemplified for them. Apparently, at least as Matthew records for us, there are no objections, right? The Pharisees aren't saying, but, 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 but Jesus, but Jesus, wait a minute. There seems to be no objections after he has said this. And so our scene moves forward to meet a man in verse number 9 and verse number 10 with a withered hand. Verse 9 says, Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. Then he said to them, verse 11, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Or how much more value than is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And again, the teaching shown, he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. And the sad conclusion of this particular account is that then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him it is still the sabbath day and so here comes our next question right we know that they're already trying to trap him from earlier in verses one and two but we move then to verse number 10 and here comes our question is it lawful to heal on the sabbath a couple of side notes here number one they're just after jesus is this somebody walking by that says, oh, I've got this question, and here's Jesus, let me stop and ask him. No, they are once again simply trying to trap him. And an interesting thing here is they know that he can heal, right? According to what Matthew says, there's no indication that Jesus is going to heal this man, at, not at the beginning, but they know that he can do it. As much as they tried to deny his divinity, that he was the son of God, as much as they were trying to trap him, they know that he can heal. What horrible, horrible hearts that they had as they tried to attack him and tried to degrade him. So in verse number 11, he gives them a situation. Now from history, as history is recorded for us, there appears to be some debate on the situation here. Some rabbis said that you could only feed the sheep that fell into the pit, right? Work would say that you can't lift it out. But some rabbis said, oh, well, you can't lift it out, but you could go by and feed it so that it stays alive, and then you're able to lift it out after the Sabbath is over. Others said you couldn't feed it because carrying food is work. Do you see where we're getting with this? Some people said you couldn't carry the food to the sheep because that's work. And others said that you could help the sheep out. We've got people on all ends of the spectrum here who have set up these rules to try to obey God, forgetting the purpose. 
Either way, depending on any of those that you wanted to choose, there was some thought to the fact that the animal's welfare was greater than the Sabbath law. And so Jesus says in verse number 12 that a human life is much greater than a sheep's life when it comes to value. The point is that God's Sabbath law was not to prevent people from doing good. It was not to prevent people from helping others. It was not to prevent people from serving God. It was necessary for David and his men to eat. And so it was good for the priests to give David that food. It was necessary for the priests to work on the Sabbath in the temple. So it was good that they performed those duties. It was necessary for his disciples to pluck the grain and to eat it. And the Pharisees should have seen the good being done in that. They should have had such a love for people and for God that they were overjoyed to see a man healed on the Sabbath. I said a moment ago they had such horrible, horrible hearts. If you don't get it in verse number 2, keep reading, and by the time you get to the end of this section when they are upset because someone has been healed, you begin to understand the danger in holding to the rules, the legalism, without the compassion. They should have been overjoyed for Jesus to heal someone. Instead, they wanted to kill him. He showed the teaching as he went through this here at the end of this particular section. Let's talk quickly about two application points for us. Number one, here are some things we can understand. Number one, none of God's laws are random. God did not just give us laws at his own whim. It wasn't just, oh, uh, this sounds like fun. I'll make them attend worship services each first day of the week. I will make them be dunked in water because that just sounds like something fun for me. Oh, oh well, this sounds kind of hard. You know, it, it sounds hard for people to have to give up their money. So I'll just, mm, I'll just decide to make them give me some money back and that will be good. None of God's laws are random. They are not nonsensical. If you have your Bible, turn over to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, and notice, beginning in verse 37, but going down through verse number 40, that Jesus talks and answers another question from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and this particular lawyer about the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice verse 40. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This idea that none of God's laws are random, Jesus will continue to make this case throughout his ministry. Later from Matthew chapter 12, the occasion that we're studying, here in Matthew chapter 22, he is going to emphasize that the love of God and love for others is what all the commandments hang on. This means that all of God's laws have the purpose of curbing sin, loving God, and promoting the love of God and the love of others. And the Pharisees, by stripping this away, if you will, by stripping away God's purpose, they end up misapplying God's laws against Jesus' disciples. 
Because they've taken away the purpose and the reason and they've simply boiled it down to the rules. Here are the rules that you must keep and that I must keep. God's laws about sexual relations and about sexual sins, they're not random. They're there to help curb sin. Why is there a law about obeying the government, about having to obey the speed limit? They're there to help encourage us to love God, to love others. God's laws about worship have a purpose and a reason. God's laws about salvation have a purpose and a reason. God's laws about anger have a purpose and a reason. We could spend time going through each one of those, but think just about that last one, about our anger. When we think about the anger, God has a law about anger and not just anger, about looking at someone in anger. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? You have heard it said, do not commit murder, but now I say to you, don't even think about it. Why is that one of God's laws? What happens when you look at someone with hate in your heart? You may not murder them, but it begins to fester. It begins to eat at you. It begins to make you callous towards so many things that you eventually fall into sin. God's laws are not random. Worship, salvation, anger, sexual things, whatever you want to name, they have a purpose and a reason. And so number two this morning, we need to seek to learn God's purpose in his law. We need to seek to learn these things. We need to follow Jesus' words and learn what it means, and really the words of Hosea, right, long ago, to desire mercy and not sacrifice. We need to learn God's character and his law. When we do that, it helps us understand and apply his commandments. You see, some people would make this a contradiction. They would say, well, Hosea says, and Jesus is emphasizing here, that we just need to love. We just need to show mercy and grace to everyone, and we don't need to worry about the rules. That's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what God has said. We need to obey God's commands. We need to learn about his law, but we need to also learn the purpose behind his law. It makes it better and easier for us then as we obey him. We started this lesson talking about the temptation to just think about rules. Please, please, do not merely be mindful of the rules. Think about instead how God's rules are propelling us. They're pushing us to love God and to love others. Let me ask you a few questions. How can we use our singing to love God and love others? How can we exercise self-control to love God and to love others? How can we flee sexual immorality for the love of God and the love of others? How does the need for our repentance from sin express love for God and love for others? How does our, the need for baptism express our love for God and for others? God has given us what we need to curb our sin and to promote love from within our hearts. But what we must do is look at God's word in this way. We must see something greater has come, and this is Jesus. He reveals to us the Father 
so that we can be his people and we can live according to his way and a way that glorifies him. Jesus is greater and has given us greater commands, including God's simple plan, which Jesus lived out for us, right? In his death, burial, and his resurrection. Jesus is something greater, and he is calling us to something more than simply obeying the rules. But to understand those rules or laws, God's law, the purpose and the reason behind them, that we would go forth not complaining, do I have to? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? But we can go forth obeying them and promoting our love for God and our love for others. That begins this morning by being obedient. If you're here and you've not obeyed God's simple commands, again, these are not meant to be burdensome. And as we've talked about in lessons previously, I've said God could have caused us, told us to do 10 jumping jacks. He could have told us to fly to Israel and to touch some rock. He could have done anything. But these are not burdensome. It's simply purposeful. Because we can participate with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. It shows us how we are connected to him as we give our lives over to him. If you're here this morning and you've never done that, we sing in just a moment the song that's been selected to encourage you. And as always, we give our willingness to study with you more about those things as soon as possible if you have any questions. Or maybe you've done that, but you've struggled to remain faithful. Maybe you're someone who's clung too tight to the rules and forgot the purpose. Maybe there's something else in your life that's amiss, some type of sin that's pulled you away from God. Maybe it's something in your life that you're struggling with. You don't necessarily need to come forward confessing sin, but you want to share with us your struggles and burdens that we can pray with you and for you. We're thankful to be together today to worship God, to show our love for him, and to promote our love for each other. One way that we do that is in the singing of a song of encouragement that if you're here and you need to make a change by becoming a Christian or coming back to him, you would consider doing so now as we stand together and as we sing.